What's up, friends? I'm your host, Amanda Smith, and welcome to the Girl Gang Podcast, the show where I chat with inspiring women about business, life's challenges, and building community, because we all need it. If you need a girl gang, this podcast is for you. We want to invite you to join our Patreon platform. If you listen to another podcast, you know that Patreon is a platform where creators and podcast hosts can bring their community together and you guys can literally support the show. Literally help us keep the lights on at the Girl Gang Podcast. All right. Well, I am so excited to have Kara on the podcast today. And hint, hint, she is the founder of the company you see in my hands. Um, so if you're watching, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Carol, welcome to the Girl Gang Podcast. I'm so excited. This has been a long time coming. I know. And I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm I'm very, very excited. You know, we're just taking sips of our hint water here. I've got the watermelon flavor with me today and it tastes so good. But I'm so excited to to talk to you. And, you know, it's it's always so fun to have super unique female founders on the show and in, in different spaces. You know, a lot of times we talk to people in like the digital online space or service providers. But I love when I get to talk to someone in the physical product <laughs> space. You know, you are working, you know... In, in so many different spaces. So um, give us a little bit, just a, a quick backstory of you, like where do your, what did your entrepreneurial itch come from and how did you get into what you're doing now? Yeah. Well, how did I get into what I'm doing now? So it's a, uh, it's a crazy story. I, you know, frequently talk about, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur, although it's always great to look back and and see how, you know, all of my various experiences kind of made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. But I was, um, when I, I, I always did things as a kid. Um, I don't know how far you want me to go back, but I, I started summer camp. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I, you know, worked in a toy store, um, (laughs) for when I was 14 uh, I talk about that in my book. That was kind of mm-hmm. my first job and sort of my first kind of itch of working in business in some mm-hmm. way. But mm-hmm. I really enjoyed writing. And when I was in uh, in college, that's when I, I I was a communications journalism major. I really loved writing a lot. And a few of my friends were finance uh, majors. And mm-hmm. I had no idea what they were talking about when they were talking about EBITDA and, you know, balance sheets and stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> whole new world. Yet I liked them a yeah, lot, but yeah. I just thought, what in the world are they talking about? And I've never wanted to feel stupid in any group, probably, you know? And Same. so I, I was just like, wait, what? Sure, like, yeah. What is that? And so I started taking a couple classes with them. Uh, and, you know, it was really a place where I was probably humbled. Um, I'd been a competitive gymnast growing up and I was really plenty, plenty humbled in, in <laughs> being a gymnast. And, uh, there were definitely people who were better than I was, but, uh, but when I got to those finance classes, I remember thinking, okay, 
this is real. This is this is super hard. I'm not used to getting C's in my classes. And, oh gosh, me you too. know it was it was tough. So yeah. anyway, I ended up talking to a professor um, in my finance classes to try and get my grade up, and he pointed me to a couple of publications. Said, "Read this when you're mm-hmm. not in class." The Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal and Fortune Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal. It was a little different back then. It was mm-hmm. super text-based. It's still very text, but um, but Fortune magazine kind of like got me into the groove of it. I started mm. to figure things out like EBITDA and balance sheets and stuff. And uh, and so when I graduated, I actually graduated and it's still shocking to me at minor in finance. And when I graduated, I decided I want to go and work for Fortune magazine because those people taught me how to accept finance as something that I could do. And like, I learned a lot from them. And so how do you get a job in finance at Fortune Mm -hmm. Magazine Mm -hmm. or editorial? You Mm -hmm. go to New York because that's what the masthead said. And and you write to the managing editor of Fortune Magazine. Mm -hmm. And so... It's a humorous story that I've uh, told many times that is uh, I showed up at the HR department. I wanted a job at Fortune. I was going to go get that job. And my friends said, how are you going to get it? I don't know. I'm going to go figure it out. Yeah. And uh, that never happened. But I ended up uh, getting a job instead at one of their sister companies that was in the same building uh, at Time Magazine which mm. pretty good, right? Great yeah. brand and <laughs> pretty awesome. great. Yeah. Uh, and Worked there for a couple of years, ended up getting recruited out of there to go and work for a late stage startup. I still laugh about that. That was my first taste of working with entrepreneurs in yeah. a startup at a company mm. called CNN. Um, <laughs> CNN was in like 40% of households. It was yeah. um, in the US. It was like 12% outside of the US. And Ted Turner would you know, grace us with his presence um, here and there. Uh, he lived in Atlanta, but he'd come to New York. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it's something I share with people a lot about entrepreneurs now and, and sort of the life of an entrepreneur and certainly my own life. But mm-hmm. watching Ted Turner like walk around and really put a stake in the ground around the world is going to have news and they need to have consistent news. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter that you can't come into the US or you can't go mm-hmm. to certain countries, whatever it is, we all live in the same world. And there were days when I didn't know whether or not CNN would be throughout the world, right? But mm-hmm. I, but Ted, you really believed, he had his best poker face and he believed that CNN would be throughout the world. And that is the sign, no matter what industry you're in, of an incredible founder and CEO. I'm sure Ted had days when he doubted himself, but he had to carry the torch, right? He probably and he didn't had- let everybody else know, like, hey guys, today, not sure. We, you know, I don't know if it's gonna keep working. <laughs> totally. And yeah. and so be, having that experience, that was my first experience. And I happened to be there really when CNN was put on the map and saw their hockey stick mm-hmm. um, in the early 90s when uh, there was a ruler in another part of the world who found out that um 
that their country was being bombed. And mm-hmm. so they called the White House and said, uh, I'm watching CNN right now. This is He was of the 12% outside of the U.S. that was watching CNN. And he said, uh, I see that I'm being bombed. And that was, you know, the day that that startup took off. And uh, so being able to be there and experience that, all of a sudden, the people who wouldn't see us to talk about advertising, like, you know, they're like starting to listen. I only want to be on ABC or NBC. All of a sudden, they were like, wait a minute. Okay, I get it now. Hmm. So we want to advertise with you. So saw that. Mm -hmm. I ended up uh, meeting my husband, my soon-to-be husband, in New York um, in a bar. My my kids love that. That love it. They're still there. It's called Down the Hatch. And, love it. Uh, I love that. Met in a bar and uh, ended up. He wanted to do technology law, so that got us out to San Francisco. Mm. Nobody. Um, he was graduating from law school. All of the law firms in New York were like, "If you want to do internet law." go west. And so we went west and came to San Francisco. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to work in media because it may sound crazy to some people, but media was really, you know, especially back in in the 90s, it was all done out of New York. Like everything else yeah. was like satellite local. Yep. And I didn't mm-hmm. really want to do that um or I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. But so when I got to San Francisco, I really was looking for kind of where do I want to go? And the only brand that kind of resonated with me, and I always think about brands and even back then, I tied them to entrepreneurs and sort of stories. Yep. Was this guy, Steve Jobs at Apple. This guy. (laughs) This guy, right? (laughs) Just some guy. And he was going through his own turmoil with Apple, but I I had I was lucky enough to have an Apple computer when I was in college. I'd save my babysitting and waitressing money, and I had bought one with doing all my papers, my journalism papers. And so, did you have I, one of the colored ones? I I did with the cute little Apple. What color and, was yours? Well, no, back. Oh. Well, back. I was then, wondering when did those colored ones come out? I don't. Those were a little bit later. Um, I actually did have one later, but the the first ones were, I mean, they were really small, not as small as they are today, but Mm -hmm. they were, they almost look like an egg. They were just, you know, off white and they had that cute little apple on it. And I just, I loved it. And (laughs) I was one of the few people, especially women, nobody had just computer, right? And people would just be like, "What? What is that?" You know. And I just didn't want to go to. We had a computer resources room in Mm -hmm. college, and it was Mm -hmm. a hassle to go to. Anyway, so when I figured out that Apple and Steve Jobs was in the Bay Area, I then quickly figured out that Cupertino was really far from San Francisco, where I was living. So I thought. I don't want to commute every single day, like a mm-hmm. hundred miles. I mean, yeah. that's just a lot. I, that's just not even really not an option. <laughs> but when I was looking for this, you know, next opportunity, I had stumbled upon this little startup that was called Two Market. That was a spin out of um, of Apple. Um, that five guys who had worked for Steve and they were doing this thing called CD ROM shopping. All I heard, I didn't know what CD-ROM was, but the I, shopping part. I thought shopping. 
I can do shopping. I, I'm really yeah. good at shopping I'm and I, I can probably shopping. do that. <laughs> and anything that is even sort of related to Apple and Steve Jobs and shopping, I thought, oh, that's really cool. So I cold called the guy who was in the research article. I love um, this. I love your gumption because that's how I would be. I'd be like, I'll just call him. I'll just show I'll just up. Call like, him. I'll just, what else do you do? <laughs> And and the company was based in this town called San Mateo, which was still like 25 miles from San Francisco, but not 100 miles. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, okay, I'm just going to go have coffee with this guy. And it was funny because when I showed up for coffee, he invited me to have coffee. Mm-hmm. He was intrigued because I worked for this startup on the East Coast called Mm -hmm. CNN. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that he wanted to talk about was Ted Turner. Yeah. Because he had, he had worked for Steve Jobs. It was like, Oh, Steve. Oh yeah. I mean, he's really brilliant. He's kind of crazy, but it was kind of old news to him. Just like, that's just like Ted. Yeah. Right. Like he's just normal. And we were just laughing. And then we started talking about this whole CD-ROM shopping thing. But I really think that the fact that I, it didn't even matter what I did for CNN. The fact that I worked for a company that had a founder and mm-hmm. the founder story was was kind of the pull to even allow me to have yeah. coffee. Anyway, yeah. so I ended up uh, having coffee and then ended up having another cup of coffee with them and I got this job offer. And I'm like- So what was CD-ROM shopping? So CD-ROM shopping, it's a, it's a, actually a really, really crazy Sounds concept. like fashion retail shopping- but for CDs, I don't know. Biggest problem, totally dating myself here. This is 1994. um, And not to pitch my book, but you should definitely. No, yeah, we're going to talk about the book. There are a lot of people actually that read this 94 to 2001 time Uh frame that Uh I talk about the CD-ROM shopping. And then um, through my, my next startup, which was America Online, it's like, it's really, it's historical. And I think it's kind of telling for a lot of stuff that's going on right now with mm. Web3 and NFTs and and sort of mm-hmm. when you look back on history, it, it's just, it's a different time, obviously, but the changes were, were big. And I, I think that it's, it's very, very interesting. And um, anyway, so CD-ROM shopping. So basically in 1994, there was this thing called dial-up service. So you actually had to connect with your phone to the internet. I remember the, it makes me think of the beginning of the movie, You've Got Mail. Totally. And we had the startup modem and I can hear the sound in my head and I could probably like hum the pitches. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and, so, and, and by the and basically, <clears throat> like, if you were connecting to the internet, it was so slow, and there was no possible way that you could have graphics. Like, forget mm-hmm. about what we're doing right now with yeah. video. No way. Yeah, and so you would have graphics, and your computer would freeze. It was everything was super text based, and I think that was the thing that they were really intrigued when they were interviewing me because. It there weren't very many women that sort of got this concept, and again, I wasn't an engineer. I had right. no idea what I was talking. You about. You just started just, kind of putting yourself in these spaces. 
Yeah, but also there were, do you remember CompuServe and Prodigy? Yeah. I mean, these are early. So there was CompuServe, there was Prodigy, there was America Online. Steve Case probably doesn't want to hear it, but Steve, like America Online was a distant third to CompuServe and Prodigy. And so when I went in to talk to them about the CD-ROM product, this is a little known Steve Jobs idea that was incubated inside of Apple. But Steve had this brilliant idea that if you put the graphics on a disc and you told the consumer to insert the disc in the machine, it became known as upgrade, right? So all these consumers were sticking discs in the machine and what they were doing was they were taking the graphics and they were downloading them on their hard drive. But consumers didn't know that they were doing that. And so then mm -hmm. when you connected to the internet, you had all the graphics on your hard drive. And I was like, this is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, yeah. Right? right? I was like, nobody, nobody cares how or why it's working, but it's like, it's working. And, and yet, here in 2022, we're like, what? Yeah. You had, and, you had to do what? <laughs> yeah. And so again, like you, you still had to fight with your brother in the next room <laughs> on the chat room, yeah. right? And disconnecting you from your services, all that mm -hmm. stuff was going on. But again, it was like a... It was a maker. It was like a go around. And mm -hmm. this was a Steve Jobs idea. And so, mm -hmm. again, the thing that I think they liked most about when I was talking to them about this idea was that I wasn't technical. I was a consumer and I yes. wanted this. And yep. I was also a woman mm -hmm. who they didn't see very often in, in the world of the Internet. Right. Yeah. And I was sitting here, I was like a focus group for them. Yeah. You and were I was saying, oh, I totally get different it. person so for them. So now the shopping, what they had done to try and prove the concept was they had taken catalogs like J. Crew and LLB Penny or whatever and put them on this disc. And again, the images were being downloaded onto the consumer's computer. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have like, you know, pricing changes or whatever until the next disc came. And then you got like the, mm -hmm. the new, new thing. catalog kind of thing. Anyway, so I was just like, this is so cool. This is like the future. I mean, this is the start of direct to consumer. And it's exactly what I was about I mean, to we say. We called it online shopping, but it yeah. was like, it really was the start of this mm -hmm. thing. So I figured eventually they're going to figure me out that I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> And they're going to fire me. But I in feel the like meantime, everybody has those feelings, which right? I want to revisit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really thought for sure I'm going to be out once they mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. that I have no idea no what I'm talking about. And I said, what exactly would I do mm -hmm. in this job that you're going to give me? There's five guys. It wasn't in a garage, but it was in this tiny office in San Mateo. And they all seem really cool. Oh, and the other thing is everybody in New York that I had worked with had really nice clothes. These guys were all wearing jeans and t-shirts. I'm like, this is really interesting. I mean, yeah. on they they all seem really smart and everybody gets along and they don't really have desks or cubicles or anything like right, that. Yeah. It's just like everybody in a room and you know, it was just interesting. So yeah. I get this job. My job is basically to build a revenue model for this little disc. And is and that had something you had been doing before had you had experience with building well, you've been I watching think, these founders but 
I think the thing about CNN that they were most interested in, and again, like totally looking back on sort of historical stuff that, you know, cable was in like 40% of households. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the only reason why I had cable is I lived in New York City, and Mm -hmm. I couldn't get television reception because of the tall buildings unless Uh I had cable. Uh Um, But like cable was, um, I mean, we didn't have the same like Nielsen numbers and as the, as the networks did. And so Mm. we were sort of telling people, lots of people are watching CNN, including the guy whose country is being bombed. I mean, like, like, of course, who cares about the numbers? This is a, you know, this This is is important. The reality. I don't Mm -hmm. know why there's no numbers, but it's happening. And Mm -hmm. so they're like, if you can sell that, to advertising agencies, you can sell this. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was, I think that's why they hired me. So anyway, yeah. my job was to go into these catalogers and I then said, okay, well, who do I call next? Well, in San Francisco, there's this company called The Gap. So <laughs> I call up, who do, I go call up, Mickey Drexler's office. He's in, he's the CEO at the time. And I'm like, hi, I'm from this company called Two Market. We incubated inside of Apple and I'm going to teach you how to go online. He's like, come in. And yeah. friends of mine who I was meeting, they were like, how in the world did you Are get you, into Mi- Mickey yeah. Drexler's office? I'm like, and this is a lesson that I share with people a lot that, yeah. you know, when you can actually make people smarter, right? And you're somewhat humorous. You're, you know, like you just, you're, you laugh at yourself. You're like, you know, I, you, you just go in and you're educating, right? And Mm -hmm. you're learning. I mean, Mickey is an incredibly smart guy. He wants to learn at any age. He doesn't care that I didn't have any experience that I was like, he figured, okay, I'm going to see what she's all about for like an hour and see if I'm going to learn anything. He wanted to learn about the new wave of, you know, retail. So anyway, I went in and, and after a year we were populating this disc and one of our investors, America online, uh, acquired us. We needed capital and they said, it's going to be easier just to acquire you. So they did. And then they, came to me. I was living in San Francisco. I wasn't movable. My husband had passed the California bar exam. He was working for a company called Netscape. And I was love it. Remember the days of Netscape. Yeah. And so I said, uh, you know, there's catalogers and retailers all over the country. So I'm happy to get on a plane and commute, but I kind of need to be here. This is before people were even talking about remote work, but I was just never, never around. Anyway, so seven years later, um, I'm running a billion-dollar business for AOL. I was the youngest vice president. Um, I was, you know, one of the few women at that level. I was going to say, were you still surrounded by mostly men at that time? I'm assuming yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always worked in an environment where, and again, there were a lot of women, but there weren't women sort of at a VP level. Right. Um, And so anyway long yeah when the story so ended up doing shopping ran all the shopping and e-commerce partnerships i was teaching people um all over the u.s who had worked for aol um you know how to sell into this new world that really 
wasn't measured. It was based on the earliest like, stages of e-commerce. Yeah, it was it was based on, you know, audiences, where they're coming in from, like what browser are they using? I mean, we we basically were picking up on whatever we could. The and habits, yeah. And creating a story around, you know, people who were coming in through explore versus <laughs> you know people who are coming in through um you know netscape netscape they were more valuable and exactly and again creating these stories about the consumers mm -hmm. and um and then also working super closely with the different retailers that were out there and and um anyway so many crazy stories just in building that my favorite one was uh was when we couldn't find a book retailer who wanted to work with us. We had been turned down by um, Borders and Barnes and Noble. And so there was this little guy in Seattle who had started this bookstore. This is like 1997, um, Jeff Bezos. And he was just books, right? Yep. And he was kind of like a little, uh, short, not short, like in terms of short height, height wise, but short. I mean, he wasn't the kindest and gentlest person. He was pretty kind of all business dry. Yeah. And sort of nerdy and had a funny laugh and whatever. But, um, but he agreed to meet with me. And anyway, it's a crazy, I can tell you the story, but it's a crazy story. We ended up building bookshelves together and, and, uh, so many things. Just no big deal. Super casual. <laughs> I mean, it's funny to like think back on it. Sure. Now. So, uh, but anyway, so did all of that. And then when I left AOL in 2001, that's when I really left because it was a billion dollar business. I never thought it would be a billion dollar business and direct to consumer. No one thought it would be that. And for me, I wanted to spend more time with my family in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I had young kids. I had three at the time. I have four now. And um, I didn't want to be on an airplane all the time. I wanted to enjoy San sure. Francisco. And that's when I really started thinking about not starting a company, but instead my health. Like I felt mm. like... I, I felt like I was paying more attention now that I had young kids. Like I sure. felt... I got to be responsible. Like I got to I got to be around for a while. I got to be around, but also I've got to, you know, make sure I'm putting the right things in their body. Like yeah. I and I still didn't really think frankly about myself and sort of how I was treating mm. myself and but then I don't know, I think this light bulb went off at some point when I looked down at my diet soda and I thought, here I am like preaching about health. And there's all these ingredients in this product that I would never give my kids. To my Why kids, am I yeah. okay for putting it in my body? Yeah. And so that's when I decided to give it up for a couple of weeks just to see what would happen. Sure. Maybe nothing would happen. Um, I had been having really bad stomach aches. I had developed terrible adult acne, which I didn't even have mm. as a teenager. Never connected the two things. I thought diet equated to health, that there was some research yeah. behind that. Um, so much more. Right. And so that's when after two and a half weeks, I woke up and had sort of been through this whole episode where I could finally see clearly. 
Um, no fog. Was, no fog. My skin was clear. I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks, which was Jeez Louise. insane. And what was your diet drink of choice? I have to know. Diet Coke. Okay. So, Classic yeah. diet. Yeah. So the Pepsi people love me saying this, <laughs> that I was never, you know, a diet Pepsi addict. I was I just, a yeah. Diet Coke addict. I, I would, I was the same way. I was a, I was huge Diet Coke drinker until about four years ago. And I'll have it like at Christmas because yeah. my grandma has Diet Coke, just cases. Of so it, funny. Right? And it's just there. And I remember growing up with my mom in the 90s, they would chug a Diet Coke, go to a jazzercise class, you know, go get another Diet Coke at Sonic. And it was never a huge deal. And I think that's part of what I what I would love to hear from you too. You start to think about your kids. American like food and culture and the food pyramid and all that stuff. I mean, especially now we're finding it's kind of garbage. <laughs> Total garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and I just never again, because I was drinking diet, I thought I was doing just fine. But when I really started to focus and read ingredients, mm-hmm. as I was trying to raise my young kids, I think that that's when I kind of became educated. And it was, and again, I had more time on my hands. I wasn't mm-hmm. working for a couple of years. And that's when I really started thinking, gosh, I bet there's a lot of people who don't know what I know right now maybe haven't had this epiphany. I know lots of people who were drinking diet soda. I also felt like there was a lot of trust in the word diet. Maybe it's also low fat and vitamin. There's this like, you know, research team that does it all and it must be me. The low fat. Right. (laughs) And it can't possibly be them or some big farce. It has to be the way that it has to be something I'm doing. And and so as I was going through this process, I thought, okay, it's all great. I'm not going to go back to drinking diet soda, but mm-hmm. plain water was so boring. So I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after a while, people would see me and they'd say, what, what are you kind doing? of fruit do you have in your water? Yeah. And I was just, I mean, it, they'd be really nosy, right? They're, they're like, wait, what is that? It's Oh, you have blackberries? Do you ever have blueberries? You know, I mean, people would just, there was this constant. People are curious. Yeah. yeah. With, with what I was doing. And so at some point I thought there has to be this product on the shelf already. I just have missed it because I sure. was always going down the beverage aisle and drinking yep. diet, picking up the diet Coke cases. And I was shocked when I finally looked for a product like Hint, everything had sugar, or some diet in sweeteners in it. Yep. And then again, I'm living in San Francisco. Then I looked in New York and I looked, mm-hmm. I looked everywhere. In fact, I was on an interview yesterday with somebody mm. in Europe and I was saying I happened to have a trip to Europe that summer. And I looked in Europe because I thought maybe we just maybe, don't have it for yeah. some reason and I'm just not finding it. But um that's when I thought, okay, well, while I'm not working, maybe I should just get this product launched because not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur while I'm not or <laughs> just no big not because, yeah, like not because I 
you know, really thought that this was going to take on the beverage industry or big soda or anything, Mm -hmm. but because I had this idea and this passion and this mission, and I didn't think about it too as, as, uh, you know, it's my time here. I've been working (laughs) for all these entrepreneurs and, and I can go do what they can do. I felt like if I could actually get this product out there, I could help a lot of people. And, you know, this is almost 17 years now. I still believe that. I mean, I still believe that if you've got an idea and you can actually get it out there and Mm -hmm. launch it, then, and it can help a lot of people, you should do that. So when you were home for those couple of years, was there any part of you? And I'm sure, you know, I think if you are the, if you have the entrepreneurial DNA, you're kind of, I was joking the other day, like, here's business idea number one, here's business idea number two, here's, you know, were you at home and were you bored? Were you wanting something else? Were you looking for someone else, something else? Were you thinking, oh, maybe when the kids are older, I'll go back to work? Or was this just truly like passion project turned? brand and business? You know, I think I I never thought that I'd start something in the food and beverage industry. Mm-hmm. And I like, again, I didn't really even think about myself as launching a company. I mean, here I had worked mm. for America Online and I had watched it scale, but that seemed like a really scary thing to go launch your own company and, yeah. you know, do what Steve Case did or Ted Turner or Steve or Steve Jobs. I mean, it just seemed really big. Mm-hmm. And that and I think though that I just thought, and it's something I, you know, also share with entrepreneurs too. Sometimes if you think too much, you won't get started. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just if you get yourself overwhelmed, you're like, oh my God. I would, like, I would venture to say anytime you think too much, you won't do anything. <laughs> you won't do anything, right? Yeah. And and so I think that, you know, I call it flying the airplane as you're building it. I mean, I think it's just you have to go get started because the other thing that will happen is that you may find out that you don't want to do it or you may find out that you've got to, you were going right and then you've got to turn left along the way. It's not exactly. And, and I think that that's something that I share with people on about my entrepreneurial journey is that, you know, the ability to sort of be flexible as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, there's way easier ways to make money for sure. Yeah. Um, than be an entrepreneur, but I think it's also as you're, it can be very re- rewarding. It's like doing a daily puzzle where you're constantly, working at something where people yeah. like take the puzzle pieces away from you as yeah. you're building them. And, and you're you like, wait, what? You can't do that. Yeah. And then you figure out you don't need them. How else can you go around that in mm-hmm. order to make up for that? all of those things? And then I think probably the most rewarding thing that I really loved, you talked about a physical product. It, when people can actually hold on to your product, here I had worked in bits and bytes forever, and people said, "Oh my God, we, I love AOL. It's so easy to connect." And that's all. That was all true. You can just but, show it on your phone back then. Yeah, but people still to this day walk up to me, mm-hmm. you know, 
with their bottle of hint and I mean, they hold it like it's like a baby, you know, and they're just like, I love it. I drink it. Every <laughs> I day. love it so much. Right. <laughs> and so that as a founder, you know, that as a CEO of a company is, mm-hmm. it's a pretty special thing. And to know, yeah. going back to my original mission of to know that you did something that is actually helping people. That's the purpose. And I think that different from, you know, maybe launching a soda, right, where it tastes good or whatever, people don't, I I can't imagine that people are walking up to Coca-Cola executives saying, oh my God, your your product has helped me so much, right? Yeah. I mean, they might say they love the product, but to actually create a product in any industry that actually helps people yeah. is a really special feeling. It's funny because my, you know, I feel like a lot of people have gotten COVID and, you know, my dad had COVID back. Um, actually we all did back in mid or late 2020. And he was a avid Coca-Cola drinker, like mm. one, two, three Cokes a day. And then he got COVID, you know, some people lose their taste, things like that, got better. He can no longer taste Coca-Cola. And hmm. so my mom and I were like, oh, we're kind of glad <laughs> because, yeah, you know, you like yeah. we've been trying to get him to not, you know, like, dad, let's drink water. Let's drink something else. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think about, I just was thinking about these people as you were talking, my mother-in-law. Um, hates the taste of water, hates it, hates it, hates it. And so she has to find things like, um, hint, I need, I actually have been, we've been hinting at, I just love making puns with hints. So forgive me, um, you know, she uses like, you know, flavoring in her water, like anything, but cause we've been trying to encourage her, like, just drink something like drink, just not you know, sweet tea, you know, they live in, we live in the South. She lives in Arkansas. Totally. Sweet tea, like a freaking two cups of sugar for a pitcher of sweet tea. Oh my gosh. Um, and so absolutely. I think too, especially I can speak on, on my behalf for the millennial generation. We want to look for brands and products and services that have a purpose Mm -hmm. that help people that have a, you know, potentially ethical background that have a great story. I know for me, I'm more prone to buy from someone or, you know, a brand if I connect with the story of like, whose idea was this? Who came up with this? Wow, that's incredible. They started this out of XYZ. I want to buy that, not the million other brands that are on the shelf at Kroger, you know? Um, And I think that's it's just really important to to our generation and to a lot of people, um, despite if it is more expensive or yeah less available. I don't know. Um, do you do you see that too? Yeah. Well, I totally agree. I mean, I think that the story uh, for so many brands is critical to the Has consumer to today, and I think that. And, you know, in the case of Hint, it's not more expensive um, to buy the product. I think that the biggest problem for us over the years, and certainly if I would have known, I probably wouldn't have launched Hint, is just 
dealing with, you know, the big guys, right? Everybody's got their big guys in every single industry. I mean, we have the Cokes and the Pepsis and the Nestle's and, you know, they're trying to grow their beverages and they have a, a, you know, longer history with the Kroger's. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. so, you know, we finally started getting into the Kroger's and the Costco's over the years. And today, Hint is the largest uh, privately held non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship uh, with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. We have uh, a big direct-to-consumer business as well. And, you know, there are many people who know about Hint because Mm -hmm. of my story. Yeah. And and it's, uh, I didn't intend to to tell the story Mm -hmm. um, as a way to get the millennials to like, like us there. Right. I've definitely talked to entrepreneurs about that. Like, yeah. you know, how do we trick people? Like, no. you can't be an authentic brand and, and share a story that isn't true. Right. And I did it initially because people didn't understand what unsweetened flavored water was. And so right. I would talk to them about, how I had been addicted to diet sweeteners. And then I got off of diet sweeteners and wanted to just have water that tasted better. And so telling my story from my kitchen, from coming from a different industry, tech, I had no idea what I was doing. There were many people who would tell me in the early days, don't actually tell people that you didn't come from the beverage industry. And I'd be like, but I didn't. You know, and that gets me. No, totally. And I'd be be like, I I know what I know because I'm curious and I'm a consumer. I I love how honest you are about this. And that's what I am all about. And what this this show is all about is, is the honesty and the truth behind things. You said something about marketing a second ago. And I think there are a lot of people listening and and myself included wanting to hear your thoughts on this. Like you were saying, they were like, how do we trick people into yeah. X, Y, Z? And marketing should not be about lying. It should be the no. exact opposite. It should be about the truth. And I think there's a fine line between, you know, we are seeing a lot of creators and personal brands online today be open and vulnerable and honest about their stories. And I think there's a fine line between, you know, airing out your dirty laundry and being being honest about your story. Yeah. But that's what it should mar- that's what marketing should be about. You know, I I tell people my background is an educator. I was a music teacher for 7 years. So in all things business and as a business coach now, it has been through experience and trial and error and because I was curious and because I did things to learn and I'm not like embarrassed that I didn't go to business school, right? Or I yeah. don't have a marketing degree. And so I'd love to hear like your thoughts on that, especially coming from so many different experiences in your career. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's there it's it's probably a longer conversation, but it's interesting. Probably. I mean, I had so many opportunities along the way. I I remember a bunch of my friends were going to business school when I was working at CNN. And I really, every day I would wake up and I would just be thinking, I'm learning 
every day. Yeah. Right. And working for somebody like Ted Turner, um, not directly, but, you know, just learning. Right. I just felt a different type of enthusiasm and energy that my friends that were taking off from their companies and going to business school weren't getting. And I, I really felt like all along the way I was, I was really good at finding places where I was going to learn, where I felt like they could fire me tomorrow and they'll like figure out that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And you know, that I, that I'm a little out of my element. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like that's where you're, that's, I mean, people look at that as risky, but I would look at those opportunities as places where, you know, I felt really uncomfortable when I walked in, like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do here? Everybody else is smarter than I am. But I've always wanted to put myself into those positions because uh-huh. that's where I I feel like there. I know what that bar is and I want to keep getting there. You want right? to, that's where you want to be because you know that's where you're going to grow. I'm going to grow, right? And where there's a lot of people who want to come into places and they want to be, you know, the smartest one in the room. I'm still to this day, I seek out places where, and smart is probably not necessarily the best way to describe it, but the most knowledgeable person in the room. And I think like, I would much rather, you know, pick up a magazine where I know nothing about something you know that they're talking about and and then all of a sudden I'm like oh wow that was a really interesting article not something yeah. that I know tons about right and and so the same with any role that I would be taking the same with Mickey Drexler right Mickey Drexler would take meetings with me because I was telling him something he didn't know yeah. and I think like the best leaders today the best you know entrepreneurs, CEOs, however you want to, you know, look at it are, that's who they are. They want to learn things. They want to, they want to keep up being their own bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to surround themselves with people that are going to know something they don't. Yeah. And I think that that's, that is, I mean, it's, it was the same. It was the way back then that it is today. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's exactly the same. It's just the different um, situations, I guess, present yeah, different themselves. settings. I think there's so much fear in especially the online entrepreneur space, which is so weird, by yeah. the way. <laughs> it's just weird. You know, if you're a coach, a service provider, an agency owner, you're working remote, you're doing everything online, everything digitally, and a lot of the in-person component is taken away, or you're not in a physical product and, and things like that. So you sit online, you watch so many other people, you're following all of these other people on social media, and you start to feel very inadequate. And you start to compare yourself and you start to think, well, instead of like having that positive outlook of, I'm going to put myself in rooms where I can learn from everyone and whatever, we on the flip side start to think, well, I would kind of like to be the smartest person in the room. I want people to think highly of me. I want to be, you know, I want people to call upon me for XYZ. And because, the 
this is my whole thing I want to, to hear your take on. The entrepreneurial journey, lifestyle, whatever, is becoming so incredibly glamorized mm-hmm. that I think it's very detrimental to newer entrepreneurs and already existing entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of been um, a little bit of a dumpster fire. <laughs> well, I think that's a key thing to know. And, you know, and I think that part of what I want to, you know, to share really in my journey, and hopefully lots of people are getting out of it is that being an entrepreneur um, is tough. And like, as, as I said earlier, you know, there's, it's not all glamour, right? It can be really mm-hmm. that like the failure rates are super high. Um, you're, you know, you hear a lot of no's, you have a lot of doubters, right? You get mm-hmm. your, your head gets uh, a hold of you, right? And with your own doubts. And so, but if you can actually do something that you think is actually going to make a difference, and, and truly make a difference in someone's life, like changing someone's health or, um, you know, really making something easier in some way, whatever it is, mm-hmm. then you should go try it. And mm-hmm. as I always say to people, what's the worst that can happen? And so I think looking at measuring exactly what your risk really is, you know, mm-hmm. I usually look at it financially. Um, like yep. how long is it going to take too. for me to kind of recoup if this was a really bad idea or mm-hmm. are there, are there, you know, exits in the, in the haunted house that if it gets too scary that I can <laughs> Do I like, have a way exit, out? right. <laughs> and, and so that's how, that's how I look at it more than anything. But, yeah. um, well, let's, let's wrap up here. Um, I, I love your, your take on everything and just how open and honest you are. This is this is what we need to hear more, especially from people like you. And so um let's just let's talk about your book really quick. About your yeah. book Undaunted. And um obviously they're gonna hear more of you and how you're talking about your your journey and your your take on things and, and your advice. Um but what can they expect from from the book? Yeah, well, I've touched on a couple of mm-hmm. um, the things and the stories, but I think more than anything, I, I think more people need to to hear the real deal on yeah. being an entrepreneur and, and sort of the challenges along the way. Uh, you get bits of my husband in this book as well, that everybody loves Theo by the time they finish the book <laughs> because he's, he does, uh, he was our chief operating officer of Hint and um, he's hysterical. He as I mentioned earlier, is a recovering um, attorney from from Netscape, from intellectual property <laughs> attorney. So definitely, um, you know, it, whether you're an entrepreneur, thinking about being an entrepreneur, know some entrepreneurs, it's a great book to, yeah. um, to read or listen on Audible um, yeah. as well. So, but thank you so much. Thank for, you. For yes. Talking about it. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you guys can go find Kara Golden on Instagram and her book is everywhere. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Could have talked about this forever and really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you so much.